Welcome back to Information Revolution, a podcast for people who work with information, thinking about how things are right now and thinking about how things could be. My name is Michael Upton. I'm an information management consultant in Wellington, New Zealand. I work for a wee company called MetaTaxis. And I'm Judy Verno. I also work for that wee company called MetaTaxis, and I'm in Wellington, and I'm an information architect. And I'm Carl Melrose. I work for Castle Point Systems in Canberra. Just have to make a quick disclaimer, though, that their views are not my own. Everything you're going to hear is all me. Um, mm. And today, um, I got to choose the topic. Wonderful. Um, we're going to talk about virtuous cycles or positive cycles or, you know, whatever whatever term we want to put around them. But I think it's a really important topic for information management because in a lot of the, the organisations that we're in, we're not necessarily in the place where we want to be as far as the organization's concerned. You know, we struggle to get budget. We struggle to get people to essentially do the things we need them to do. And a lot of the time, I think, you know, people are waiting for the regulator to come along and, you know, sort of beat people up so that they'll do what they're told or they're waiting for, you know, something to change so that, you know, we can do the work that we need to do. I don't think that's realistic in a lot of cases, or at least you can wait a really, really long time for that to happen. And so virtuous cycles for me are just a way of conceptualizing the work that you do in your organization so that you are always building something and always improving your ability to operate the, the social license you've got. And, you know, the, a, a virtuous cycle is really just one action that has a positive impact in some way and leads to your ability to take bigger actions. And that's really you know, that, that's going to sound a little bit vague. So, you know, the simplest example of it is um, business cases. You know, if you if you keep positioning records management as this thing where you keep tipping a million dollars a year into it and nobody really understands the ROI they're getting on that, that's a vicious cycle because everybody will look at the money and just wonder what they're spending it on, not really understand it. And so when you come along and ask for more money, they'll, they'll sit there thinking, I'm already giving you a million dollars a year and I don't know what I'm getting for it. Now you want more. Whereas if you're sitting, if you sit down every day and, you know, or, or let's just say you put a business case up 50, you're asking for $50,000. You've got a really solid business case to generate a hundred thousand dollars. You come along after, you know, you do the project, you deliver the value and then you come along afterwards and you do benefits realization. Well, that's the start of a virtuous cycle because you've just gone to someone asked for money, you know, told them you'd deliver an ROI, delivered the ROI. Next time you go back, you're going to find it's much, much easier to get money. And if you need more money than that, you know, there's a good chance you get it. it it's one of the big mistakes, I think, that lots of people in records make. You know, they, they come along and they ask for, you know, a million dollars for a new record system. Um, actually, a fr good friend of mine in an agency who we all know. I remember talking to her just after she joined her agency, and you know, the previous information manager had been in there and said, "Need five million dollars, new record system," and this is in an organisation that was still doing ninety-eight percent of everything on paper and had no culture of good information management whatsoever, and just I could, and had just this long history of not funding the records team and not showing in any way that they trusted them. So she's come into this agency and the first thing that she did was, you know, run around and look for a few problems to solve, found a problem in the, uh, in the, in the 
chief executive's office with a bit a specific business process that touched their minister and went and asked for ten thousand dollars to solve the problem. And you know, the 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 I remember her talking about going to the you know, whoever the finance person that, you know, she needed to talk to about that was. And, you know, they nearly fell off the chair because they were expecting, you know, this ask of $5 million or so. And instead what they got was a request for $10,000. Now, she went along, solved this problem in their minister's office. And so all of a sudden she's got this fantastic start of a great virtuous cycle because she's asked for less than she was expecting to. She's delivered what she said she would. And she's done it in a place where there's a really, really positive impact for the perception of records management and the idea that records management can really deliver value for the organisation. Because it wasn't a compliancy type problem. It was a, we've got a problem managing this business process and better records were actually the way to improve the management of it. So it comes down to that ROI, as you just said there, Carl, and, and measurability and finding those uh, little projects or whatever you want to call them that can actually prove the worth of managing your information properly? Y- yes, in principle. Um, the, the one thing I would, I would say, though, is that, you know, I mean, all political activity is based on a virtuous cycle. You know, it's kind of that idea that, you know, in your organisation, most of what you see, most of what we're seeking records management in an organization generally i think um is kind of like a social license you know w- when you talk about social licenses normally you you talk about them in like um the classic sort of case studies of these big projects that you know have potentially damaging environmental effects and you know affect large communities of people like you know big mining company goes into you know a small village somewhere and wants to you know put in a tin mine or something like that. And they, they talk about the way that these big mining companies get the get um, essentially the local people to let them operate the mine and support the operation of the mine as a social licence. And really it's just about understanding that there are going to be negative consequences for doing this thing for, you know, some quality of life and those sorts of things. But offsetting that those problems with, enough good things for the community that the community buys into it. And I actually think there's a really good analogue for records management there because a lot of the time what we actually need in an organisation is we need to we need people to do some things that are not necessarily in only their own self-interest. You know, we're asking people to keep records because the next person in the process, yeah. you know, is going to need that record. Or we know that in a couple of years' time we might be subjected to an administrative or a legal review and we want to make sure that the record keeping is nice and clean. But it may actually take time away from a business process. And so what we actually need is what we need is akin to a social licence. You know, we need business unit managers and those sorts of people buying into the idea that record keeping has real value in the organisation so that when we ask them to do things that actually impose a burden on them, they'll do it. And so political processes are, you know, they are a positive, they are a, a, a virtuous cycle as well. You know, you pick a stakeholder that has some, um, you know, political sway in the organisation, you do some work for them and you do some work for them because next time you need, next time you want some, want to do a project for some or, you know, piece of work for, for someone else who's new and you need them to trust you, you know, what what can you do that that's going to make people trust you? You know, remove that risk that, 
oh, it's the records team and we're not sure we trust them to deliver on this. Well, if you can point to influential stakeholder like, you know, person in the chief executive's office, you know, who has a process that touches the minister and say, you know, we did some work for them. Look, I mean, if you want to, if you want to understand whether, um, you know, we can help you with this, just go and talk to them because we did the same thing for them. Like, and that's a, that's a political virtuous cycle. You know, it's that, it's that action you take that leads to your ability to take bigger actions in the future. Am I explaining this well or have I? Yeah, and it it ties in very much, I think, with what we were talking about, was it last last time time or the time before, about, yeah, yeah, going and talking to people and seeing what it is that would help them. I think the, the, um, the tricky bit is actually getting their time to do that, persuading them that it's going to be worth their while to talk to you and I mean then there'll, there'll probably be loads of people that you or groups that you could go and talk to where there isn't anything immediately that you could do to help yeah so that's a you know that's yeah. a, think, um, a bit of a balancing act what's on my mind in terms of thinking back to the last episode and how this ties in really nicely is is that um that example of uh um going to a new new starter and asking the new starter yeah. kind of uh, to basically document their challenges and coming back to them and then responding to that. Like to me, that's a perfect example of setting this up because you're operating at a reasonably or probably, probably very small scale to demonstrably deliver a benefit to someone <laughs> so that you can then go, oh, great. You know, they're the team who actually sort of deliver something of value to me. But also um, that, uh, in terms of your point, Judy, uh, in terms of getting their time. I mean, a new starter, new starter. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. Know, that one. They're just, they're just like, oh yeah, okay, induction time. Yeah, you know, that's just part of what I do. And and yeah. you know, okay, I've got to tie a cat to a tree, and then I do these things. You know, they. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's it's. <laughs> there you go. I love a callback gag. <laughs> got to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, you um... to get that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's a tie-in. It's a tie-in. Please watch all of uh... our completely unmonetized videos. <laughs> well, anyway, um, yeah, but but you know, yeah, the, 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 there's already kind of expectations or a process to hook into there, rather than being like, right, I'm going to try and um, go and push for a change if there's an established kind of culture of you not being someone worth talking to, frankly. And I don't mean, you know, I'm not talking about that in a personal sense, although, you know, mm. uh, yeah. Um, and I think I'd, I'd, I'd emphasize that point, I think, was in what you were saying as well, Carl, about scale, that I guess it's that thing of like, instead of asking for five million, which... Like how are you going to be, how are you going to be confident that you've got the return on investment of five million dollars? You know, like what what is it you would measure that you know would make you go, yep, that was me? And what are all the other factors that could go wrong in the in the interim? Versus if you just go for that much smaller chunk, um, and and you know nail it, deliver on that, and then go for the next one. I, I mean, guess I think, um, I think that's why the idea of social license is really important. Because you yeah. can ask for five million dollars, but you know, mm. if the last project you asked for was you know ten thousand dollars and no and no one felt like you delivered an ROI on it, and now you're coming along asking for five million, people are people are probably going to be a bit skeptical about whether that giving you that money is a good thing. But you know, I mean, if you've got, you know, I think one of the most valuable things that a records team can actually establish is a 
a register of projects that they've done in the ROI on them. But, you know, right. if, if, you, yeah, if you make a commitment okay. to benefits realisation, establish a register of the projects you've done, the money you asked for, the ROI you promised, and then, you know, the, the actual benefits realisation piece of that. If you can rack up 10 or 15 projects in a row, or even, you know, 10 or 15 projects where eight out of 10 of them delivered the the ROI that they were supposed to. I mean, anytime you go asking someone for money, if you can point to that project register and say, uh, you know, they get a bit skeptical about the, the business case or something and say, well, look, you know, here are the last 15 projects I've done. And as you can see, 14 or 13 of them delivered the ROI that we expected, that, you know, we expected them to or more. Then, I mean, I think that's a really powerful thing. And, and I mean, that can build you up to the point where you can ask for $5 million. You know, if you get to the point where, You've done all these projects in a row, and you know your record system is the real blocker. And you want to put a new one to to increasing ROI. You want to put a new one in. I mean, I don't think you know that there are isolated cases where that's actually the problem. But um, I mean, I think you can build up to that. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, another interesting aspect of this, I guess, in terms of that building up to things, is probably you know part of our jobs I suppose or part of a kind of management or a strategic approach is thinking longer term and is thinking about all of those things having that kind of um, bigger picture view of like if I make this incremental change I want to do it in a way that doesn't stuff it up for the next thing or you know or for the thing five projects ahead that needs to happen I think that's a really common aspect of information work is that um you kind of a, have some kind of responsibility for seeing a really big picture, and you Absolutely. know, an enterprise information architecture would be an absolutely sort of golden example of that as a thing, um, or a, you know, a sort of product, if you like. Um, yeah, and so I guess it, it would be really important in establishing a cycle. It, it's kind of how you're chunking up work, but still with a view to what that work is overall, <laughs> um, because yeah, obviously. It's, IT people talk about point solutions, and I'm sure that's kind of bled into other professions. The mm. idea that you know you you don't want to just sort of and it's kind of the band aid idea. You don't want to just patch over a thing over here and a thing over there and a thing over there, and then realise, oh crap, we actually could have done one larger piece that would cover all of these things. But I think it is reasonable to try and identify those things that you can do in isolation, just so that you. It's almost just getting the ball rolling, right? But as you say, in order to build social license. For a lot of records teams, you could actually start with a virtuous cycle at the conversational level, and it was actually just interesting, Judy, because it was what you were what you were saying that was just making me think about that. You know, I mean, if if you want to turn perception of a business unit around um, in an organisation, and your records team, you know, the reputation that um, that that they've got is it's only the paper and um, oh, they always say no every time we want you know we we want them to ask for something and every conversation we have is them saying, put it in the EDRMS. Well, you can actually create a virtuous cycle by just making a decision that, you know what, okay, here here is our conversation script for the entire team. We're never talking about paper ever again. We're not asking people to put it in the EDRMS and, you know, we're not talking about <laughs> compliance. And, right. you know, and we're just, and you know what, you're going to do, you're going to spend 98% of the time you're talking to people, listening to them, asking, you know, how can information management be better? And, you know, then just listening, not not saying a thing. Yeah, I mean, I you think could that's, actually that's turn right. the whole thing around. 
I think that's I think that's right. I think you need to go around and and listen to every team and just yeah, as you've just said, just listen to what their issues are and then try and find some way to put that together into a bigger picture. She's she's always my bigger picture holistic thing. <laughs> the architectural mm-hmm. view. The yeah, architectural yeah, yeah. view. But yeah, get that picture so you really understand how how the flow of information works across the organization and then decide what you want to focus on. So take it off in little bite-sized chunks. Mm-hmm. But within the within the view of a bigger picture. By the way, this reminds me that someone contacted me, I think I said this to you guys, um, to say, actually your your podcast is called Information Revolution, but it sounds much more like information evolution to me because you're not being very revolutionary not that i think she was suggesting we should be revolutionary (laughs) you know man the barricades and all that but just yeah just came to my mind then Mm. i i mean the question i I, that i think is a good and relevant one is how do you find the balance because the the big picture view you you have to have the big picture view or you just end up doing lots of tactical projects that go in different directions and you know, you, you, which really is, you know, I mean, I actually wrote a blog post about bad strategy yesterday and, you know, mediocre strategy is kind of people doing good things but not getting any reinforcement value out of them. Um, how, do, how, do you, how do you find the balance, Judy, between big picture view and, you know, sort of tactical view? Because, all, you know, the, the short-term value is in the tactical view but the long-term value is in the, strategic view yeah so you start with the strategic view and then and then choose your choose your wins quick or otherwise i hate that quick wins thing (laughs) Uh, you know it always just like let's knock that one on the head and knock that one on the head but yeah um yeah yeah. so they are part of how you build a virtuous cycle right i know i know it's just that it's just that (laughs) phrase whenever you're going to do something it's always like well what could the quick wins be What's yeah, the low-hanging no, fruit, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. And nobody ever wants to do the, the slow wins, which, you know, are the, often exactly. the, big founda- the big foundational things that, you know. Yeah, You do the quick win, and if you do three quick wins on their own, well, you get three quick wins. But if you do one slow win and two quick, win- quick wins, you yeah. get 10x out of the quick wins. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, let's yeah. just stand back as ever. I'm standing back so much in my work. <laughs> this is, this stand is me back. Up, up in my up in my helicopter, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and just really think about: is it a quick win that is actually going to get us the best ROI, or is it that longer time? Just prioritizing, but you've got to know what they are first. Yeah, I mean, I think again that social license. You know, it's how you find the balance between. Yeah. Enough yeah. quick wins that people will let you do the slow payoff stuff. Yeah, true, true. And I think um, I, I was thinking about this actually last week. Uh, yeah, I might as well say it, that running running a course on information architecture in Microsoft three six five and thinking about examples people were giving me about what they actually get asked to do in their day jobs. And it was really interesting thinking, oh yeah, these are kind of those point solutions, or they are quick wins, or whatever, but. People were identifying things and considering them in context while doing them. So it's kind of like um, they were being. I mean, it's just what you're saying, Judy. But just seeing it, seeing it happen in practice was great. You know, just thinking about like, okay, I've got an idea of how things are supposed to be heading over years, and here's a specific thing that needs to happen. And so, uh, 
yeah, I'll, I'll do that specific thing, but with in mind where I hope we will get to. And I think in, in modern information systems, being able to tweak things like, um, you know, metadata that's stored centrally and reusable across the environment, you know, those kinds of things are actually um, getting easier, you know, getting getting easier to actually implement as a technical uh, mm. thing. And so if you can just, I guess, you know, that, that reduces the risk in terms of impact if you choose the wrong option and realise that actually your tactical solution needs to change. But I think it's also true that if you make those tactical changes and then realise that there's a better solution um, down the track, then hopefully you have established that licence to um, make further changes that might impact on that same team, if, you know. So, yeah, uh, I can I can see people doing this in real life and I think the kinds of skills we probably already have when we're assessing how information moves around and things is we can see the extent to which there are dependencies or impacts across an organisation and that's the kind of thing where I think you could prioritise um, not just on the value, but also like if I put in a solution for this and then realise that it doesn't really work with my broader scheme, it's probably okay. Like it's probably yeah, less of a problem. Um, it's taking a really, really specific example, just um, that someone was talking about on the course, um, they talked about a solution for how they manage probity checks for contractors. And that's a really discrete sort of set of information that's only used for one thing, you know? And so that's a really low risk choice for something that delivered demonstrable benefit because the business problem they had was that a bunch of people in the business who needed to be able to refer to those checks couldn't do that without seeing personal information that it was felt was inappropriate for them to see. So they basically just needed a solution where they could kind of pipe a yes, no about the currency of a probity check somewhere and someone could check that. It's more like a register of like, mm. hey, did, is this contractor got a current? Um, you know, are they are they okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, no, rather than um, any more information than that. Why I want to dive into the detail is because you know I think this is a specific example of exactly the kinds of changes that um, can be made to establish a virtuous cycle. Because you're like, sweet, this is a thing that delivers demonstrable business value i've got the skills to figure out what's actually needed so you know it's kind of a five wise thing of like which bit of the information did you actually need you know all of that stuff why 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 okay cool you actually don't need to see anyone's um actual files or you don't need to see if um you know there's some personal information about how that contractor has had a past conviction or something you know you just need a sort of a, a yes no in your process and um you know, and, and as I say, that understanding of basically a combo of value and risk and and then what we can do next. When it comes down to, you know, thinking about the big picture versus tactical solutions, I think, you know, it, it's a risk conversation, right? It's like, what's the risk that me delivering this technical solution stuffs up that bigger sort of strategic view? And if that risk is really low, then, you know, again, that's a low-hanging fruit. Blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, you you mentioned the the uh, delivering the technical solution, and so I'm just wondering, um, our information managers are having these really great conversations and um, getting a good handle on some some things that would make a you know significant difference. Blah blah blah. How do they bring the IT guys along with them? Because quite often these changes are not just process-driven things or something that involves a, a tweak to SharePoint, for example, but something that might need a bigger 
technical and technology investment. So I mean, for how me it's about do we handle that? For me, it's about organisational politics. You know, ultimately, the, the way to get IT to do what you want. You know, if you can't, if you if you can't tell IT to do things and get them to do them, the way to get IT to do what you want is to find somebody who has a business problem that you can solve that is going to say, IT, do this thing, and IT are going to go, yes. And, you know, I mean, the the example that, you know, I mentioned that I was talking about earlier where, you know, this friend of ours found a, a problem in their chief executive's office to do with, you know, ministerial correspondence. I mean, do you think IT are going to, you know, if, if – if you've positioned this solution to the chief executive and well, you know, yeah. and, and the minister, do you think in that you know, case. the IT are ever going to say no? <laughs> no, no, know, sorry, but... minister and chief executive. You know? Yeah, yeah we, but... can't, you know, we, we can't, we can't do that. I mean, but but the, I mean, that's ultimately how you see these things. You know, you just yeah. you've got to win political battles, and that's again yeah. virtuous cycle. You know, do something for someone to get them, make them a supporter. You know, so that next time when you need their support, you know, they'll show up for you. I mean, it's also, I mean, there's a, there's a kind of a, a principle or a truism or a, just a, you know, thing that <laughs> might sound as lame as a low hanging fruit in, um, in consulting land, which is the idea that um, you have to make your client look successful, right? So if you show up being like all super smart, you know, ha ha, aren't I so cool? It, to the point that the person you who commissioned the work, um, looks like a dumb dummy and and you know then that then no one's really winning and it's kind of um <laughs> sorry that feels slightly tangential but really what i'm what i'm thinking here is that with it like how do you make it look successful while delivering uh yeah that's for a you, good question that's you know? a good point and and so i think with that in mind as well as i mean i think what you're saying carlos is 100 percent a great well, it's, it's well, one approach, right. but may not be the. You're right. It may not be the right one. You know, the right it's approach. Kinda, you're right. Is to bring them along with you as you go. See, yeah. but the th- thing is, I don't think those things contradict if you have them in your mind. So you could go and work with the ministerials team, or you know, the CE or whatever, and work with IT and say, hey, if we could deliver the solution together, and we can basically present this thing that we've done together, you know, that's good for everyone. And and I think. Um, it can be challenging depending on your, you know, your organisation and, and size and who has what conversations with whom. But you could also be working with IT to understand what matters to them and how they gauge their own success. And, and I'm just realising as I say that, that's exactly the kind of stuff we were saying in terms of kind of your own sort of um, yeah, people you're providing services to internally. Um, yeah. You know, we were saying last episode, figure out, what success is for those people so that you can help. In some in some ways, although the relationship with IT could be quite different because they are sort of providing you a service, um, or supposed to, <laughs> um, just as IM is supposed to be providing services, if you can sort of understand what matters to them. And so it might be stuff about like, you know, you know they need to basically fought on... Um, stability of systems or lack of security breaches or something something you know you could find all these things that matter to them and go okay well how do how do i help you to do those things and also i need this change to happen and i can tell you how it will not cause you a problem you know like that will not affect your success measures or or it'll be a positive effect on your success measures so i I think you know there's a conversation that 
can be really valuable and there will be times when that's not going to happen because you're just not going to get in the room um but you know i'd still have that in mind as even if you're not the one in the room even if you're going and working with the ce to try and sort of mm. basically give, give it a shove to do something you still don't do it in a way that's like haha suckers you know like <laughs> yeah 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 but i, I think you know? i think bringing them along i mean i think you know most of the time you should end up in a pretty good position if you you know you, you go and talk to someone you figure out what your solution looks like you know you're going to need it involvement you know, you don't wait until you've got your entire project plan done and had it signed off by them and financed to then go to IT and go, ha, ah, here you go, now you've got to do this. You know, gotcha. you, go and, you, go, you go and talk to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? like that, that, that's just a recipe for disaster. You know, it's something that I make sure I do in, you know, any kind of project work that I'm, that I'm trying to get someone to do, you know, talk to IT because inevitably we have an IT component. And, you know, if there's something I haven't understood ahead of time, you know, there's a security requirement or you know, whatever it happens to be, you know, that can scupper projects really fast. But, you know, I mean, I, I think if you do that stuff, this is part of the working with IT thing that I think a lot of people are struggling with when it comes to Microsoft 365. You know, they, they all need some level of administrator access to do their jobs and IT just won't give it to them. But I, I think that lots of people are also going to IT a lot and saying, you know, I need administrator access because, you know, there's this little bit of data over here that I need and IT are sitting there saying, well, that's not really a reason to take the risk of giving someone administrator access. Whereas I think if, you know, I mean, a, a better way to, to, to get there if I, you know, for, for me is you make them part of your project. You know, you make sure that if there's a process that you need to follow to get them to do things that you're following it. And, you know, you just over time, you just overload them, you know. like. You know, the 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 um uh, the example you were talking about before, Michael, the um the probity checks. You know? You want you wanna build a you, you wanna build a, a list for that so you can use it as a register and then you wanna do a you know workflow of some kind and you know, well if every single time you want a field added, moved, changed, adjusted, you want a, a new new step added in a workflow, I mean if you've got to put a help desk ticket in every single time you want something like that. And, you know, you've brought IT in with you, you've stood up, you know, a, a little project, even if you're just calling it a project and, you know, you have a weekly five minute project meeting with the person who really actually needs that thing done. And every week the blocker is IT, the blocker is IT, the blocker is IT, the blocker is IT. Sooner or later, IT are going to get sick of being the blocker and they're probably just going to give you what you need. And so, I mean, I, I think mean, there's a lot of... I was just going to say that that just comes through so strongly when I'm running training related to 365 for IM people because it's it's just every course there has to be a conversation whether it's part of the material or not about how do I get the access to the things that I'm seeing in this yeah. training environment yeah. that I can see I need in my day job. Yeah, we could probably I mean, do a whole episode on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm putting together a Microsoft 365 event at the moment um, You know, with a group of people um, in Australia and New Zealand, and um, I've been asked to do a, a section. You know, I've got a, a thirty-minute section about Microsoft three hundred and sixty-five. There are some other guests that um, are going to are going to be invited to speak at it. Um, it's a record-keeping audience, and I'm really stuck as to what I as to what I present because you know, on one hand, I'm sitting there thinking I can go through the CARA document, and, you know, go you know, here's how Microsoft three hundred and sixty-five addresses all this stuff now. Or here's how you can do that. 
but I'm really actually titanically disappointed with the number of people that I run into in records who still haven't been to office.com and logged in and looked at the tools that are available. And I, I think that, I mean, I think there is so much advantage to be gained out of that tool set. You know, the, the virtuous cycle that you can build when you get down to the level of someone's business process and you are helping them manage it using Microsoft 365 and gaining better records as a result. I mean, you know, it wouldn't have to be Microsoft 365. I mean, you know, you can create registers and do workflows in half a dozen record systems. But, you know, Microsoft 365 is the one that is the most self-service out of all of the ones that I know. It's the one that everybody seems to have access to at the moment. And I think it's a, you know, I, th I think there's a real, almost an existential question there for, for records management around, um, you know, are we just about the management and so we're never going to focus on what the records that people are actually keeping or are we going to do what ISO 15489 actually asks us to do and which, which one is it? Yeah, <laughs> it is, yeah. But, but, you know, and asks us to get systematic control of, you know, the creation, blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, creation. what better way is there to get systematic control of creation than be sitting there going, well, let's create a register that is, you know, first where people request something, then where they manage the process, you know, that also generates the outputs, that also becomes what people refer to. I mean, I cannot see waiting for people to create documents so that you can manage them. You know, I, I don't, I think that's had its time. Um, I think things like Microsoft 365 represent the future of all that stuff, but th there's a real opportunity for a virtuous cycle there. And I think the reason a lot of people are struggling with, you know, just to draw actually a circle around the topic and get back to my point um, and off my rant Um it is that I think the reason a lot of people are struggling to get administrative access to Microsoft 365 is because they're asking for administrative access to Microsoft 365 so that they can get some reporting about something that they just don't have the political support for. You know, I know that everybody wants to understand what teams have been created so that they can start to classify them and, you know, do all that sort of stuff. But if I, if I were IT and I'm worried about controlling access for security breaches so that we've got good change control in place, you know, and we've got privileged access management tools in place, that's a, that's a pretty thin reason, you know, you can set up a script for that. You know, it's a pretty thin reason to give someone administrator access to a whole system. Whereas, you know, if you've got a team that are like a good friend of ours in Adelaide, you know, if you've got a team that are constantly building things in there and so you know, the only way that you actually don't give them administrator access is to hire two people full time to build them the things that they want so that you don't have to give them administrator access, you know, and you've got an organization that, you know, this is one of our friends in Adelaide. He has a great big lineup, you know, he's a lineup of about nine months to his door now to build process management stuff in Microsoft 365. And he won the, he won the administrator access battle years ago. Because the line of business stakeholders got so long that IT were just looking at it and literally thinking, we're going to have to hire three more people to, to do all the stuff that he wants to do, or we can give him administrator access and trust him. Hmm. And so they did. And, you know, I think building up enough business stakeholders behind you that, you know, IT is suddenly looking at this thing and saying, yeah, that's going to be two more people. I mean, I think that's, and, you know, there are enough people that you can send over to IT to say, 
I've been to records, you know, we talked about delivering that thing. It's holding us up now and you're the, you know, you're the problem, you're in the way. I mean, pretty soon they're going to cave, which is another virtuous cycle. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of time, I reckon we should probably wrap that one up, but there's yeah, so, so many, so many threads exactly. we can continue to pull on there. Um, yeah, as always, very interested if anyone out there listening to this has things that you'd like to input. Uh, and otherwise, we'll see you next time. Thanks, one and all. Thank you.